Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. What's up, faithful? Glad to be back with you for another edition of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. As always, you can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, and 49ersWebZone.com. I'm Al Sacco, and you can follow me on Twitter at AlSacco49, and you can follow this guy at Zane49ers. He is Zane Nockby. Zane, I know you've been playing hurt and haven't been feeling well. How are you feeling today, buddy? Uh, just, just trying to get to a hundred percent, put my, put myself in the best position to succeed. All you could go, all you <laughs> do is go out there and you give 110% and, uh, those other cliches that you hear. Are those 75 degree days out in California taking a soul on you? Hey, man, it's, actually, out there? it's actually 65 and it's pretty damn cold for California. <laughs> 65. It's literally, it's 40 degrees here one day and the next day it's 80 degrees and it's May. It's, it's crazy. How do you, how do you do that? I, I don't I mean, understand. You just get used to it. It's why we're all depressed out here on the East Coast too, probably, and why we drink a lot. You know what's going to help you with that the days. You know what's going to help you with that depression is the 49ers. Yeah, I hope so. But you know what? It's it's rough right now, man, because the months of May and June, if you're doing a football show or just a huge football fan, there, there's there's nothing happening. You know, after the draft and you have mini camps and OTAs and whatnot, but it, it, there's just not enough there to really fill the void. So we're hoping we could do that for you on this show. And we're going to talk about some, some good stuff today. We're going to discuss what we feel, what the biggest, the 49ers biggest weakness is, and also a couple players in the offense who, who we think are going under the radar, who could really have big seasons. But before we do that, if you listen to our show last year and it, we were just beginning, so I'm sure we've, we've gained some listeners since then, but you know that last year we had a number of 49ers rookies on the show and it was a great way for fans to get to know them. And we were lucky enough. We had Solomon Thomas, Adrian Colbert, TJ Jones, uh, Cole Hicatini, Victor Bolden, and, and Lorenzo Jerome all on. In this episode, we're going to continue that tradition as we speak to 49ers seventh-round pick, wide receiver Richie James. A seventh-round pick for the 49ers in the 2018 draft. Our guest has a lot of fans excited. After finishing a career at Middle Tennessee State, the Psalm put up monster numbers at wide receiver. He is Richie James. Richie, thanks for being here with us, man. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. And congratulations, man! That you you are living the dream. You you are you got drafted, and and you're at, you're in an NFL camp. And and how does it feel, man? Oh yeah, I mean, it's a dream come true, really. I mean, you've been working on your life to get to this point, so uh, you know, just just really the stepping stone to get where you really want to go, and that's to be the best person, mm-hmm. best player in the NFL. And I want to kind of start off with your early days. And I know you played all over the field in high school, but ultimately ultimately ended up playing quarterback in that wing team. So that's kind of a run heavy, uh, yeah. and that's a run heavy system. Uh, did that hurt you at all in the recruiting process, and how you ultimately ended up playing wide receiver? Uh, I, I don't think it really hurt me. Uh, I think it really you know, just so where I can, where I can't, you know, where I can play most of the time. I, you know, it's I've been in spread offense, and that was that's what it really was. It really wasn't too much of a wing tee, but it was like the spread just read the read zone, and so I can I can run the ball and I can be athlete. So. Uh, I don't think it really hurt me as much as it helped me just showing that I can really, you know, I can run the ball. And Richie, your numbers were off the charts at Middle Tennessee State. You had 107 catches for over 1,300 yards in 2015, 105 catches for over 1,600 yards and 12 touchdowns in 2016. What 
What was it about that offense at Middle Tennessee State that allowed you to shine like that? Uh, they just found, like, you know, so many ways to try to give me the ball. Um, you know, they did everything they could with my moving around, putting me in the backfield, motioning me, um, uh, you know, just trying, trying to create mismatches, or, you know, linebackers and safeties and stuff like that. So uh, that's been really, really creative is trying to give me the ball and uh, get the ball in my hands and see what I can do. And you're coming off those monster seasons, but you got hit with the injuries in 2017. You had an ankle sprain, the broken collarbone, and you ended up opting for the draft. Uh, were you kind of concerned that the injuries would hurt your draft stock? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that it did. That's what probably played most part of it, but uh, I'm 100% now, so I'm not really, I'm not really worried about it now. The draft process is always so interesting to me because it can be such a poker game with teams not wanting to show their hands and that sort of thing leading up to the draft. What team showed the most interest in you through the combine and the process? Uh, you know, I got a lot of you know, uh, tests and calls from the testers. Uh, uh, Patriots can't work me out. Uh, Pittsburgh, they really like me. Uh, there's a few teams that, that really uh, want to be there. I'm pretty sure most of the teams want to be going draft this. So, um, you know, it is what it is now. And what was the 49ers' interest level in you going through the process? Did you, did you know they were interested, or was it a surprise? Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah Coach Mike was always hitting me up. Um, as soon as Coach Mike was hitting me up and, you know, tell me he wanted me here, stuff like that. But, you know, I was hitting from a certain amount of teams, too, the same thing. So I wasn't, like, you know, like super surprised. That, you know, every team wanted me, but nobody wanted to take the chance. So we'll fast forward to the draft, and you get that call from the 49ers. Can you kind of take us through that moment in terms of like where you were, who you were with, and who you spoke to from the team? Yeah, I was um, I was in Miami with uh, my marketing agent, uh, you know, and, and uh, Coach Mike really got on the phone. I sent that San Francisco number call, and, you know, it was just like, oh man, hold on, this 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 is a real call right here. Uh, and then I asked the phone to Coach Mike and and, and John and um, Cal and those guys, you know, they. They taught me, and it was like, you know, you ready to be a 49? I was like, yeah, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready. Come get me. And it was like, you know, I picked 240 right here, so just wait up. You're not going to get called. And, you know, just, just ready to be a 49. I was happy. I was happy. And are you kind of set up in the Bay? Like, do you kind of have a spot already, or is it just kind of like you, you got the call and you rushed out here for for mini camp and you're still looking? Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, it's not, I'm not looking for a spot right now. I just, you know, just got the mini camp and uh, got through that last week. And, um, that's really good experience. And I mean that that real estate man, the Bay Area real estate. You're probably getting a good dose of that right now. I mean, uh, we all we all suffer because of that, but you're probably seeing. Yeah, that now yeah. Too. <laughs> I've heard, I've heard, you know, I've heard stories. Of, you know, I've been two weeks. I heard stories of you know, um, you know how much how expensive it is. I guess so. I'm prepared. You know, my mind to find a spot with you know few up guys and hope I get a good spot. Richie, after you were drafted, I, I went to school on you and I read about you and, and watched film. And it, my immediate thought, and, and it was the thought of a lot of people, was, wow, this is a Kyle Shanahan type of wide receiver. You're versatile. You run good routes. You play fast. It's everything Kyle looks for in a wide out. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on playing for Kyle and how do you see yourself fitting in this offense? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's a really good offense. Uh, I had an interview earlier this year and they asked what. Offense. I love to play in. I said Kyle's offense. So, uh, you know, it was really amazing. That's a good experience to now actually playing his offense. Uh, and I'm looking forward. You know, just you know, be, be able to uh, you know compete with the guys and um, you know, show them that I can move around. I can run. I can run around. I can you know, play everywhere. Um, you know, eventually I got to pick up on the offense and stuff like that because it's obviously not easy. But uh, you know, this is going to catch on. But uh, you know, just show my my skills. And, 
you know, do the best I can. And Richie, for those of us have, who uh, listened to the last show, you were actually the guy that I was most excited about that the 49ers drafted. Uh, I thought they got tremendous value when they picked you up in the seventh round. And, and after looking at your tape and everything, like it just, it just, it's electrifying. But does that draft position kind of put a chip on your shoulder as well, knowing that so many teams passed up on you? Uh, I mean, yeah, no. Uh, you know, I'm used to it. Um, I, obviously, I went to a small school. I thought I'd been to a big school, so um, I'm used to it. Um, I've been on a dog all my life, a small kid all my life. So uh, it's just, you know, just come in and compete, you know, wherever I went. And that's my goal is to play my role, you know, at the end of the day. I can be the best I can be. I can control. I can control. So, uh, you know, just come in and do your thing. And, you know, hopefully they put you in the right position to succeed. I mean, you're selling you're selling yourself short, man. I mean, some of those highlights, you're you're playing some grown man ball, really. <laughs> like you're, you're yeah, yeah I mean, ball. I play big though, so I mean, it's, 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 I, I show that I put down on the That's all I, I can say. You know, I just, I play my game, you know. And what was rookie minicamp like? Can you kind of take us through what the day to day is at something at an event like that, and as far as drills and meetings and all that thing, all that stuff goes? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's not going on. Uh, obviously, you never. You know, you've never been in this offense, so it's a lot of learning, a lot of terminology. Uh, you know, you got to really sit down and focus and uh, you know, get it, get rid of that college uh, terminology. You know, learn the whole new terminology like starting over again. So, uh, you you know, you got a lot of that, and you got a lot of the routes on your area, especially you know where the script is and when you need to be in and uh, what route you need to run. So, there's a lot going on, but, you know, it's like I said, it comes with time of just learning and understanding what needs to be done and what the concepts are and stuff like that. And with OTAs around the corner, there's, there's a lot of competition at the wide receiver position and you're going to have an opportunity to play in what most expect to be a very high powered offense this year. Have you set any goals mm-hmm. for yourself in 2018 or, or is it just something you're taking one day at a time right now? Yeah, definitely one day at a time. I, I can say that, um, you know, obviously the only way you can compete if you know what you're doing. So, and I don't, I'm not saying I don't know what I'm doing, but you know, it's one of those things where it's a, it's a long way to go for learning the whole playbook. So, uh, those guys are being they, they learned it, you know, they got a year in their belt. So they, you know, they'd be able to, you know, quickly decipher what they need to do. And for us rookies, it's, you know, it's different. You know, you got to take one day at a time, one cup at a time, and just learn little by little. How, is Kyle Shanahan's playbook a little bit daunting? We've heard that it's a hard playbook to learn. I mean, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of, you know, it's very detailed. So, um, I, I can't really tell you exactly because I didn't. I haven't seen everything. So, but mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a lot going on so far with the stuff I've learned so far. Uh, as we all know, the 49ers went on a big winning streak at the end of last season with Jimmy Garoppolo at the helm. Richie, what does it kind of mean to you to step into that situation with an up and coming quarterback and an up and coming team? Uh, I mean, just learning. You know, you got to be able to learn. What, like I said, learn what's going on, who's around you. And obviously, Jimmy's going to do a really good job at distributing the ball and, and just wanting to win. So. I just be able to step in and, and know who he is and as a person. And he's a, he's a competitor. He wants to win. So, uh, you know, you got to learn from him. Uh, he's going to teach you some things that, you know, that you need to know so you guys can talk about, right? And I got to ask you, what is it, what is the thought of going against Richard Sherman in practice feel like to you? I mean, that's the best cornerback in the game right now. So, uh, you know, I thought about it before. Like, you know, I, I get to work with one of the best. Uh, you know, just having the opportunity to go against Richard Sherman is going to be, you know, what it really won the learning experience, but also you know it's going to be, it's going to be competitive. So uh, you got to be able to, you know when you, you go against, you got to be able to compete because that's what you do. And he's going to try to get in your head, and he's going to make you play. He's going to try to get you out of the game. So uh, he's definitely going to be a lot of experience for sure. 
And what what wide receivers do you model your game after? Uh, I mean, I mean, I would say, I would say Antonio Brown. But you got to create your own game. You know, you can take from other guys, and uh, you know, some of the different guys can um, you can learn from. So, uh, I mean, you want to play your own game. You want to be your own, your person, your own person. But I learned a lot just by looking at Antonio Brown's film, and um, and he's obviously a great player. So uh, I try to. The best I can to be me, but I'm gonna learn from whoever I can, whatever position, whatever receiver I can learn from. Finally, we wanted to give you an opportunity to tell the fans what kind of player are they getting in Richie James, and, and what do you want to tell them about you as a football player? I mean, I'm a winner, um, competitor. Um, obviously, what you put on my film, you're gonna you're gonna see that. And I love to win. And there's no other place I'd rather be right now than in the Four Niners because they they love to win. So uh, it's a team game. We're gonna. We're going to be the best we can possibly be, and you know, I mean, hopefully get that Super Bowl in the year. Richie, got to ask you: Are you are you watching the NBA playoffs right now? Oh yeah, it's going crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. So you you know the Bay's team is in there, the Warriors. I mean, I hope I hope you have your Warriors hat on, man, because if you're not a fan already, you're, you're definitely going to become a fan. Yeah, I'm gonna say to go check my Twitter, USC. You know, if you go pick up the old, the old tweets, you know who. Oh, I'm a fan of. So there's no doubt. I got I got Golden State right now. There you go. You think you think they go all the way? All the way, and they win it. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, last night KD was just he was just unstoppable. He was great last night. Oh yeah, KD. I mean, look, I mean, like you said, you're in the blog, and you gotta get a KD man. You gonna work it. All right, Richie. We cannot thank you enough for the time, and, and we cannot wait to watch you out there on Sundays. Good luck through OTAs and training camp, and we we can't wait to watch you this season. Hey, I thank you. Thank you guys for having me on. Appreciate it. No thank problem. You, Good luck to you. And thank you again to Richie James for joining us. And Al, Richie James, for those of you who listened to the last show, he was actually the guy that I was most excited about the 49ers drafting because of his potential. And and if you look at the guy's highlight tape, like I said in the in the interview, he's just playing grown man ball. Like he was he was going up and getting jump balls. He was making catches along the sidelines. Like he was running the entire route tree. So that that is probably one of my favorite draft picks out of this draft. Yeah, you loved him. You were all about that pick right after it happened. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's always great when you get these guys on the show and, and uh, shout out to the, the 49ers for making that happen. But Al, we have a lot to talk about, as you mentioned in the intro. And there's there's some stats that you're putting out on Twitter that I'm pretty interested in. And I'm sure we'll get to those in a bit. But man, I, I know you're chomping at the bit to talk about this. You, you know what it is? And, and I guess let's let's co- let's complain a little before we get to the positive stuff. I guess let's get let's get this out of the way. I understand that Rome wasn't built in a day and it's, it's naive to think that the Niners were going to come out in the second year of the rebuild and have every position filled. I understand that. And they got the biggest one filled when, when they got Jimmy Garoppolo in the fold and that's going to have an effect on the entire team. It already has, but the one position that I'm really worried about, or the one thing on the team that I'm really worried about is the pass rush. We alluded to this last show. When you look at the guys that are on this roster, I'm not sure where the sacks are going to come from. And this pass rush saying, this has been an issue for a long time. It's not like something over the last couple of years. Oh, we got to fill a need in the last five years. So since 2013, the 49ers are the only team in the NFL to not have a single player reach at least nine sacks in a season. No one's even gotten to seven since 2013, 2013. You had Brooks and Alden Smith at eight and a half. 2014, you had Brooks and Aaron Lynch with six. 2015, you had Brooks and Aaron Lynch with six and a half. 
then you had Buckner with six, and then Doomerville last year with six and a half. So you don't even have a single guy having a random good year getting sacks. This has been a huge, huge problem for them. And it's been even worse since Vic Fangio left. And the Niners have finished 29th, 21st, and 27th overall in total sacks in the three subsequent years after Fangio left. And the frustrating part of this for me, and I wrote an article about this, you can find it on 49erswebzone.com, is that they're so close to getting out of this. They just need that one player. If they can get that one guy off the edge who can just disrupt a little bit, it's going to shoot the numbers up of everybody. DeForest Buckner is going to get home a little bit more. I mean, he, he led the NFL with 19 quarterback hits last year, Buckner did, but he only had three sacks because there's nobody on the outside getting around. And you have guys like, I feel, who are going to be effective on the inside. Solomon Thomas, Eric Armstead, I feel like these guys can be effective rushing from the inside, even though I think Thomas is, is still going to be maybe on the outside at that big end position. And passing downs, they need that edge Leo type player. And Zane, when you look at the guys that are there, Jeremiah Itachu, Cassius Marsh, Eli Harold, Ronald Blair, Peter Tommy Peno, these guys don't have a track record. And you look at their career sacks, Itachu leads everybody with 10. It's not 10 in a season, it's 10 in his career. Marsh has six in his career. Harold has three. I, I think Ronald Blair has four. Armstead has six. Buckner has nine, which is you know good for a defensive tackle, but there's nobody on the edge zane. And is is it do you think this is gonna hurt the team this year? I wanna point out the defensive coordinators that the 49ers have had since that Alden Smith year. It's been Eric Mangini and then Jim O'Neill, and now obviously Robert Salo, I think is head and shoulders above the first two guys I mentioned. But the first two guys, Mangini and Jim O'Neill, like they their defensive schemes were awful. They were terrible. I don't think they they really took advantage of their their athletes on defense and the way that Trent Balky drafted, we all know how he drafted, right? So I, I think that it's, a, it's more of a reflection on their drafting in the past than it is, than it is, you know, on, on an organizational thing. But again, like you said, this year they had a chance to do that in the draft and they didn't. And having a dominant pass rusher changes everything. It changes the way that you can run your scheme defensively because your corners don't have to cover for as long. And it creates a lot of interceptions. It creates a lot of uncertainty from, from the opposing quarterback. And it just, it, you look at all of the dominant teams uh, of, the, of the past like 10 years, and each one of them have a dominant position group, most likely a quarterback, a pass rusher, or, or both. And the 49ers are not one player away, but I think that if they got a dominant pass rusher, and that guy could be on the roster, we don't know, right? Like this, the season hasn't started yet. We don't know what the roster is mm-hmm. going to look like by week one, but that guy could be on the roster, but they need a dominant pass rush. They had trouble getting to the quarterback last year. And the more you blitz guys and bring extra pressure, the more pressure puts on your corners. And I think Al, because they, they picked up Richard Sherman and they're expecting big things out of Colbert and, and Tart being healthy and Witherspoon had a strong showing at the end of last year. I think maybe they're, they're expecting to put that pressure on their corners because they know they can, they can deliver. By the way, did you see Richard Sherman started running now on his Instagram? He he posted a, a video of him running. I did see that. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah, so so but, great news. Yeah, but I, I, I'm totally with you. I, they did not, in my opinion, I don't think they did enough to address the pass rush. It is good news about Sherman, but he's still 30. He's still coming off this injury. We still have to see what happens with it. And a lot of people alluded to what you just did to me, too. A number of people on Twitter said to me, oh, well, you know, the the corners are going to be better and, and the secondary is going to be better and, and that will help with sacks. I'll tell you something, if you're relying on coverage sacks, it's going to be a long season. It's going to be a really long season. And this secondary is one injury away 
from having some issues anyway. There's a lot of youth there. There could be a lot of bumps in the road. You better hope Richard Sherman is Richard Sherman because if he's not, we love Achilleo Witherspoon. Love him. I think he's going to be great in this in this system. It's only a second year. He could have some bumps in the road. You know, Jimmy Ward's going to be playing corner. Is 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 he going to be up to par going back there? And then there's a lot of youth other than that. You know, you have Quan Williams, but then you have these rookies coming in too that that they that they drafted. And eventually, I think that's that's going to pay dividends. But there could be some bumps in the road. I love the defensive line in terms of Buckner and Thomas. And I think I'm a bigger fan of Armstead than most people are. Sheldon Day, Earl Mitchell, DJ Jones. There's there's a lot of depth there, and I really like what's going on there. I like what they're doing at, at linebacker. In, in terms of, you know, obviously if Foster is healthy and, and they brought Toomer in and Malcolm Smith is going to be there and, and Fred Warner, I, I like what's there. But I, I, I worry that the defense is not going to be up to par and the offense is going to have to carry it. And, and last year we saw where Garoppolo was able to sustain drives and keep the defense off the field and the defense played well without getting a ton of pressure. So, hey, maybe they can do it. But to me right now, that's that's the big worry. And I wonder depending on what they see in some of these practices, if they get on the field and say, you know what, you know, maybe some of these guys can't do it. I wonder if they kick the tires on a Shane Ray or, or Fowler from Jacksonville. Cause neither one of those guys got their fifth year options picked up. And you have to wonder, I, I mean, I think the Jags want to work out a long term deal with Fowler Fowler, but in terms of Shane Ray, m- maybe they kick the tires on, on one or both of these guys and, if they come out of practice and, and they see, okay, we don't have enough there. I don't know that there's enough there, like I said, because the track record isn't there. And I mentioned on the last show, and I love everything John Lynch has, has done. And I love everything Kyle Shanahan has done so far. But one of the things, probably the only thing that they've done so far that I thought was outright laughable, and I did mention this on the last show, is when they talked about, they were asked about, you know, why didn't you just pass rush in the draft? And they're like, well, you don't just come in and take Cassius Marsh's job or Eric Armstead's job. Those guys don't have the track record to make a, for you to make a claim like that. Right. They have six career sacks apiece. You mean to tell me somebody can't come in and get six sacks this year? Not six career sacks, six sacks this year. So like, don't make a comment like that because to me, it's like you're putting pressure on these guys and you're saying something about these guys that don't have a track record. And I like the way Marsh played last year. And I'll, I'll say it again, I'm a bigger fan of Armstead than most, than most people are. But when you say something like that, to me, it, it, it just didn't hold water. And they can go out this year and, and listen, they know their team better than I do. And they can go out this year and I could be like, oh, you know what? They knew what they were doing. I did it. And I'll be the first person to say it if that's the case. But right now, I, 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 don't, I don't think they have the guys on the edge. And at some point, it's, it's going to hurt this team. If you remember last year, our, our draft show last year, we were talking about, did they do enough to improve the offense in terms of getting difference makers? Because they, they signed a lot of depth guys last year. I don't know if you remember we talk, us talking about this. And we kind of kicked the idea around, like, did they, did they do enough? And it, in the season, we, we questioned it again until Jimmy Garoppolo came in. And then everything kind of fell into place after that. I, I have a feeling that this, this season will be like that, but on the defensive side. Uh, especially when Ruben Foster gets back, and by the way, he has—I think he has a hearing in a couple of days or, or something like that. That that will uh, his ex-girlfriend is going to testify and and all this stuff. Um, but it's going to be one of those situations where they'll probably have to adjust as they go along. And I think you may see them kick the tires on one of those guys, uh, like a Shane Ray or Dante Fowler, because those guys have serious pass rush talent. Like they would fit that Leo position perfectly. I just think. They, the 49, they being the 49ers, don't want to spend future draft capital uh, when they have the solution potentially on the roster. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, Jerry Atachu, like he he's he's got the skill set to be a Leo, but the problem is is that he never really had a he never really had a chance in San Diego. He was sitting behind Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa, so he really didn't get the the playing time that that he should have gotten. But I think they're kind of banking on that and they're going to most likely go pass rusher by committee and hopefully next year in the draft or in the off season, or even during the season this year before the trade deadline, they can, they can improve that. But it kind of does go against like their whole, like we want competition at every single position. They do have competition, but it's like, it's all kind of like the same level competition. (laughs) Like there's nobody that really stands out. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's, they must have a heck of a lot of faith in Solomon Thomas to be able to, to be a Leo and passing downs and, I've, I've been on record saying that I think that he's better inside. I think that he would be a really, really good interior defender. And I hope that the 49ers realize that too. Well, I think what they might end up doing this year is you're going to see Buckner and Armstead rushing from the inside, Solomon Thomas on the, on the big end. And then like Atachi right. Marsh or those other guys on, on the others on the other outside position. Like you said, it's going to be by committee on the other side. And we'll see how that works out. You you brought up kind of a good point in another thing. I guess I guess we're just talking about our worries right now, right? Whether they're valid or not. But yeah, how much is this team counting on Jimmy Garoppolo just to carry them? <laughs> because you brought up the offense, and in, in I remember talking midseason last year. We were talking like, listen, the players they brought in, it's not working. Marquis Goodwin isn't working. Kyle Uzcheck isn't working because it, by midseason last year they weren't. And then Jimmy Garoppolo comes in and, and this team takes off. But let's remember the beginning of the season. And I'll go through the points they scored in each game through week one. Week one against the Panthers, three points. Week two, nine points. Week three, they scored 39 points. That was that wild Thursday night game. Then 15 points. 23 points against the Colts. And they scored a lot of those points late, if you remember right. 24 against the Redskins. And again, they were, they were getting killed at halftime. 10 against the Cowboys, 10 against the Eagles, 10 against the Cardinals. Then they had a good game against a Giants team that had pretty much quit by that point. They scored 31 points. But then the next week, 13 points against the Seahawks. Then Garoppolo comes in. They only scored 15 against Chicago, but the offense moved the ball all game, and the rest is history after Garoppolo took over. But it it didn't work until Garoppolo, Garoppolo got back there. And Shanahan's offense does take time, and maybe these guys were learning the offense towards the end of the season. They started to get it. But nothing clicked your right until Jimmy got behind center. So I just I, I hope that it's more of a balanced effort. And I hope that they're just kind of not relying on Garoppolo to, you know, sort of sort of carry them throughout the season and carry them to ten wins. I you know, you look at the draft and, and it is it is a lot of pr- projection and McGlinchey, while I, I think it's he's gonna improve the run game, the passing game is gonna passing blocking is gonna take a hit because Brown was one of the best in the league. And it's unfair to ask McGlinchey to come in and be one of the best in the league right away. He might end up being that, but it's unfair to ask him that. So the pass blocking may not be as good in that regard. Did they really update any of the or upgrade any of the skill positions? They probably didn't, unless you think Pettis is going to come in and blow the doors off right away. You're relying on guys to take a step forward, and we'll talk about a couple guys that, that we think are going to. Um, you know, Pierre Garcon will be back and be healthy, and that that's a huge upgrade as well. So. Interested to see how, how it all goes through with that. But yeah, I guess, again, if we're talking about our fears, I guess the fear is, yeah, that I hope that there's more to the offense than just get Jimmy Garoppolo sort of carrying them. Yeah, I had that same fear too. I, I was basically like, uh, like you, where I feel like the 49ers are putting way too much on Jimmy Garoppolo. And they're kind of just like, all right, well, we're going to give you some tools, but we'll just figure it out. 
But then I thought, look at how New England builds their team. And, and Adam Peters was New England scouting director for some time. And he built their team around Brady such that it was Tom Brady and a bunch of kind of role players, and they were able to make it work. I'm not saying Jimmy Garoppolo is Tom Brady, although his nickname is Baby Brady. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think that they're they're kind of taking a similar approach because when you start to bring in those superstar players, it also kills your cap at the same time. Like if you look at where the league is kind of going, they are trending away from like having like a top heavy roster where you have like two or three superstars and like, you know, just the rest of the guys are, are kind of not that great. They're trying to spread the talent and the money and all of that stuff around the entire roster because with the way that the cap is structured, like especially for teams that are, that are good, uh, they, they don't have as much cap room because you gotta, you gotta pay your players. So I think that they're kind of taking that same sort of approach that, that New England took where they have the quarterback position set, but they want other players to be able to come in and, and play specific roles. And they have, they have done that. If you look at the guys that they bring in, uh, Trent Taylor is a great example of that, right? Like a guy that's just basically a slot receiver. And he was, he was dominant, frankly, when Jimmy Garoppolo was quarterback, he was a first down machine. Mm-hmm. So. I think that they're they're trying to build a roster like that, and maybe they'll find themselves next year like one or two guys away, and they'll have the cap room to go and get them. And it's going to be a deep roster, like a, a bunch of interchangeable parts. And I and I keep saying this, I, I've said this many times over over the past six months about the Forty ers It's interchangeable parts, like the the type of corner that Robert Sala wants on the outside is it's a long rangy corner that can play press man and and kind of uh, be be using his length as his asset and they want like shorter corners on the inside. And the, the guys that they bring in, I believe they, they, they signed a guy from Atlanta. Um, it was CJ Goodwin and he's six mm-hmm. foot four and he's like 200 plus pounds. Right. So, and he's going to, he's going to compete for a spot on the outside and the guys that they bring in to play on the outside match that same sort of body type. So I feel like that's what it, that's what it really is. Like the, the, the slot guys look at, um, you know, look at uh, James coming in and he, he's going to compete in the slot and on the outside as well, but he's going to compete in the slot with Trent Taylor. You know, he's like the, uh, a smaller sort of body frame and the guy that can, that can make tough catches. So I think that's what they're trying to do. It's just like if one guy goes down or if one guy leaves, they have somebody able to replace him. And one, we mentioned people that we thought were going to step up this year. Somebody I want to talk about in the show that I don't think is getting enough press at all in terms of what he's going to mean to this team is Matt Breida. And have a lot of reasons why I think that the first of which is when you look at what he did as a rookie. Okay. Now he was just a second back, you know, he, he was a change of pace type guy. He didn't play a ton, but he had the most rush, the fourth most rushing yards by any 49ers rookie running back in the last 25 years. Gore had 608 in his rookie season in 2005. Kevin Barlow had 512 in his rookie season in 2001 and Kendall Hunter had 473 in 2011. Now, out of those guys, Brito was actually second in yards per carry at 4.4, trailing only Gore at, at 4.8. And when you break down Brito's year last year, his yards per carry were was 4.4, okay? His yards per rece- reception was 8.6. When you compare that to Carlos Hyde, Hyde averaged 3.9 yards per carry and 5.9 yards per reception. And we compare it to McKinnon, who I know was with Minnesota, completely different offense and everything like that. But McKinnon averaged 3.8 yards per carry and 8.3 yards per reception. So Breida had actually better numbers when you looked at it than both of those guys last year. And you could say, oh, well, you know, he didn't have a high volume of touches. 
when you look at the five games where he had 10 or more touches, he averaged 4.6 yards per carry. He had 57 carries, 267 yards. And he averaged uh, 6.6 yards. He had 11 catches for 66 yards. So basically, he had 333 yards on 63 total touches, which is 5.2 yards per touch. So that's, that's pretty darn good. Um, and Breida's done a really good job, and I think he's going to touch the ball a lot more this year. We know what McKinnon can do to the, do in the passing game, and John Lynch talked about he's a matchup nightmare, and I totally agree with that. I can't wait to see what Kyle Shanahan has in store for him in the passing game. But McKinnon has never had more than 159 carries in a season. So again, are we really expecting him to come in this year and carry the ball 250 times? I don't think that's going to happen to you. I don't think they'll have him carry the ball 250 times. I think it's going to be a running back by committee sort of thing. The way that it is with Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman in Atlanta when Mike, oh, Shan- oh God, Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan was the coordinator there. So that's the whole idea, right? Like that I was talking about before, where like interchangeable parts, like there's going to be more than one contributor at every single position and there'll be a deep team, right? Because they're not, they realize that because they've got a good quarterback, their window to win a championship is extended a little bit. It's not like they're a flash in the pan sort of thing. Like Jimmy Garoppolo is a good quarterback. He will be good for a long time. So they know that. And they're building a team like that, that will be able to kind of grow with him. And I think that, that having guys like McKinnon and Breda who, uh, who can be able to, to be that Swiss army knife sort of running back that can do more than one thing just gives Jimmy Garoppolo another, another sort of outlet to, to work with. And I don't know if you heard John Lynch on Good Morning Football, but he talked about all the running backs in the stable having four, four, nine or less forty times. Yep. They're all really yep. fast. Yeah. So that's the other thing too, is that speed kills, right? And when you've got a quarterback who can get rid of the ball quickly and has a quick release and can get the ball to these guys in space, that's what their speed and their elusiveness is going to be their biggest asset. And you mentioned Coleman and Freeman. I I when I looked at Tevin Coleman's numbers. And his second year in Shanahan's offense, he had 941 total yards. He had 520 yards rushing, 421 receiving. And Breida last year had 645 total yards or yards from scrimmage. And thinking about 800, 900, that's, that's a pretty good estimate for him. And I think he could have a Tevin Coleman type season. I think he'll have a little bit more in terms of rushing yards. So Coleman had 520. I could see Breida more in the 600s. In a little bit less in terms of catching the ball, Coleman had 421. Uh, Breedak maybe seen the maybe around 200, 300, but I really feel like he's going to be around 900 total yards this year. He can maybe even get to a thousand if he carries the ball a lot. Because, like you said, I don't think it'll be a straight split in terms of carries. Uh, you know, I could see maybe like McKinnon with 12, Breedak with seven or eight type thing. Maybe you mix in Joe Williams, but last year the Niners only really used two running backs. They only used Breedak and Hyde, and obviously they were blessed with with good health with those two. But I, I can't wait to see how it plays out, and I, I just think Breida is going to play a, a much bigger role than than people are are anticipating or, or talking about right now. But one, I, I, another stat I put out today on Twitter that I thought was really interesting. I was looking at the Niners' catches last year in terms of their running backs, and in the first eleven games, the running backs caught. Well, let me let me get down here. Okay, so they had sixty-seven catches in the first eleven games. With two running backs. Once Garoppolo came in in those last five games, the running backs only had 13 catches combined. So Garoppolo wasn't throwing to the running backs at all. Right. And you could say, well, yeah, well, Hoyer and, and Beathard checked out a lot. Yeah, they did. And Garoppolo pushed the ball. Yes, he did. But you'd think that number would meet in the middle a little bit. 
that's a huge discrepancy. That's two quarterbacks throwing to the running backs too much, and another quarterback doesn't throw to them at all because he pushes to the ball downfield, which is fine. But I just I saw that stat, and I'm like, wow, I wonder how Shanahan's going to change things up in terms of getting McKinnon the ball. Is he going to have him run deeper routes? Is he going to just call different plays? But I saw that, and I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting to me. I think part of it had to do with Jimmy Garoppolo not knowing the entire playbook. Like That could be too, yeah. Yep. I imagine yep. that that's a good point. drawing up a play for a running back, like a screen player or something out of the backfield, is a little bit harder than just having a receiver run a route because you, you have to set a blocking down the field for that running back. So that may be part of it, but I think that you're going to see them utilize the running backs more. Like Uzcheck, the, the Garoppolo seemed to seem to really like throwing Uzcheck, especially down the down the sideline. Yes. yes, yep, and creating mismatches. So I think that you're going to see more of that, but I think that you'll see more of the actual like running backs going on patterns instead of the fullback because they've got more time to implement things that will create mismatches. Like you'll see Jared McKinnon in the slot. You'll see him out of the backfield you see him maybe lined up wide you'll see maybe two running backs on the field at the same time with with McKinnon and Breda so I think that part of it was Garoppolo not being familiar enough with the offense and just not wanting to Shanahan not wanting to complicate things I think the other part of it was just that maybe he just didn't have the personnel maybe Carlos Hyde was not the type of guy that he wanted running out there in patterns with because he he because he's a bruiser he's he doesn't have that elusiveness that McKinnon has so I think that you're going to see more of these these running back sort of patterns this year, and it's just going to add to the arsenal that Kyle Shanahan already has. Like I, I think that that the biggest thing that they have is they have a bunch of athletes on offense, and it's not like a slow slogging sort of offense. Like as good as Jim Harbaugh was, like that offense did not have a lot of like really stellar athletes. They're bruisers, right? They weren't like speed guys. Like even the receivers, power, were power running, shove it down exactly. your throat type offense. Yeah. Exactly. So you're you're going to see the the total antithesis of that. And Kyle Shanahan has from the he's from the Bill Walsh coaching tree. We all know that. Mm-hmm. And if you look at like the way that the 49ers use Roger Craig, for example, when Bill Walsh was coach, Roger Craig only had three seasons where he ran for over a thousand yards under Bill Walsh. Right. Right. So he was mostly they were they were using him and Tom Rathman together, uh, both running and catching the ball. So I think it's going to be kind of similar to that. I'm not saying that that. Jerick McKinnon is Roger Craig, but what I'm saying is that the concept will be the same because Kyle Shanahan draws a lot of the same concepts from that West Coast offense. Now, as much as I like Brita, um, I like George Kittle just as much to have a big season, and, and I'll explain yeah. why with him too. Tight end is a very difficult position as a rookie. Very difficult. And when you look at how some of the best tight ends in the league did in their rookie seasons, you'll, you'll see what I mean. And where George Kittle fell in that is is pretty amazing. So took a look at, okay, who have been like the best tight ends over the last however many years. And you look at their yardage in their rookie season, okay? Gronkowski, 546. Jordan Reed, 499. Zach Ertz, 469. Greg Olson, 391. Antonio Gates, 389. Jimmy Graham, 356. Vernon Davis, 265. Um, Travis Kelsey only played one game his rookie year. You can't really put him in there. He had 862 in his second season. But George Kittle finished with 515 yards receiving. That would put him second among those players. Right. And when you look, you look at how all those guys progressed, there's no reason. I'm not saying it's going to be Gronkowski, but there's no reason to think that he can't progress in terms of numbers and continue to get better and be the type of tight end who's going to give you 700, 800 yards and six, seven touchdowns every year. He certainly could be that guy. I mean, he did 515 and two last year. And you look at what he did again. Well, when Garoppolo came in, what did Kittle do? Well, his last three games, 
he had 11 catches for 194 yards and a touchdown. That's pretty good, you know? So he's another guy that I see taking that step, and all of a sudden you're going to be talking about him in terms of receiving on a Pro Bowl level. I mean, he's he's going to be the number one tight end this year. They they didn't bring in another tight end. And the same goes for Breida. You know, we, we thought about the draft. Oh, are they going to draft another running back? They mean, no. <laughs> They're going with McKinnon and Breida. And whatever they get from Joe Williams and, you know, whoever else, I guess that, you know, that that's a huge plus if one of those guys step up, but they're going into the season under the impression that McKinnon and Breed are going to be their one-two punch. They're going into the season under the impression that George Kittle is the guy at tight end. You know, Selick will get in there and, and maybe Hikatini will, will make an impact, but Kittle's the guy right now. They didn't adjust that. So those two guys are going to be leaned upon this year, and I really believe they're going to surprise some people. The 49er fan base really liked Delaney Walker when he was here. And I'm convinced that Vernon Davis was never the same after Delaney Walker left. He did have that dominant season after Delaney Walker left, but I think that it was more of a uh, reflection on Colin Kaepernick and his ascension. But he was never really the same consistently after, after Delaney Walker left because Delaney Walker was kind of that Swiss Army knife player that would create mismatches and take coverages deep because he could run. He ran a 4 4 9. George Kittle runs a 4 5 2 40. So it's very terrible, and he's he's taller and heavier than Delaney Walker was. So we, we like we talk we talk about athletes. George Kittle is an athlete; he could create mismatches. So I think that you're right. I I think that they'll absolutely learn how to exploit him. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo seems to be really comfortable with him, especially in the red zone. Like there was a there was a, the the touchdown they had against Jacksonville last year was just like a bang bang play. George Kittle turned around, the ball was right on him, and they seemed uh-huh. to be in sync. And uh, that's one that I happened to be in person for. I, I, I saw that and like, I didn't see any window for Garoppolo to throw to, but Kittle found the open spot and he was able to, to get in for the touchdown. And for a rookie to have that kind of awareness uh, near the goal line, to be able to find a hole in the defense of what at that time was the number one defense and be able to get open to catch the ball. That's great. Like he's, he's shown a lot of promise. And I think the 49ers know that too, which is why you didn't see them address tight end this year in the draft. Like they didn't draft anybody at that position. So I think they have full confidence in the guys that they have. Hikatini is another guy that another athlete, like he, he's like a red zone touchdown machine. I, I forget how many touchdowns in the Burnley had in his college career. Uh, I believe you had that stat, but uh, he's another one of those guys that is, is an athlete and creates mismatches. So I, I think Kittle could be like a 700 yard, 750 yard, like eight touchdown guy this year. It's not out of the question. The last position I wanted to bring up in, in, just to kind of discuss it as receiver and Dylan DeSimone kind of alluded to this one when, when we were talking with him after the draft and look at the depth chart right now, look at the guys that they have Carson Goodwin Taylor. Then you have Eldrick Robinson is still there. Kendrick Bourne is there. You bring in Pettis, you bring in Richie James, you know, guys like Victor Bolden are there. Do you think there's going to be a surprise cut or maybe somebody who doesn't play nearly as much as you thought? What if what if James and Pettis go in there and they kind of blow the doors off? Or they just impress enough where we're like, we gotta get these guys more snaps. Who who's the odd man out? There's gotta be an odd man out, right? Yeah, I think and, I think Aldrick Robinson. Oh, I do too. Yeah, I don't think he's making the team. I think he's a prayer to make the team. Yeah. But okay, Garcon, Goodwin, and Taylor look like they're gonna be the starters, right? You would think. The three. Right. But what if Pettis impresses? What if James impresses? What if Bourne, who the 49ers really like, looks like a player in his second season? Can't play six receivers, right? 
that is a really interesting competition to me. And it's amazing because the Niners probably had the worst receivers in the NFL in 2016. That, that group was a joke. And to think where they are now is pretty amazing. There's six guys, you could argue maybe seven or I'd, I'd say probably seven tops, but there's, there's six guys that could really push for playing time. And somebody eventually is going to lose snaps. And I know there'll be injuries and things like that, but if you get a healthy season out of those guys, I'm wondering by the end of the year, if you see someone start to lose snaps, you know, if, if Goodwin doesn't capitalize on how we finished last season, maybe Pat steps in there. You know, if, if Trent Taylor takes a step back in a sophomore year, does Ricky James get, get more play? It's, it, it's, it's going to be really interesting. And if, if they like Kendrick Bourne, as much as everyone says, where is he going to go into this right now? There's six guys that I think can play and I can't wait to see how that plays out. I think they're, I don't know who or or what's going to happen, but there could be some surprises there. Well, your top four is pretty much set. It's going to be, it's going to be Garcon, Goodwin, Taylor, and Pettis. You're not, Dante Pettis is obviously going to make the team. You don't trade up for a guy in the second round. Right. Obviously. Yep. Yep. But they love Bourne. They love Bourne. You know, uh, Alder Gromis and Bourne and uh, our guy, Richie James competing for two spots. And usually the sixth receiver for sure has to have special teams ability if you keep six receiver, right. receivers. So uh, I believe Bourne plays special teams, didn't he? He's, I believe he so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so he can play special teams. And uh, I think that, you know, they clearly like Richie James, which is why they drafted him. They like his skill set. I think he'd be really good in this offense. But, I mean, will they put a stash him on the practice squad? Will they give him some reps? Will they, you know, will they, will they, favor him on the roster, right? Like we, we don't really know. And I think that this is a good problem to have because like you said, the 49ers receivers, the receiving core has been so bad for so many years. And I think that right now it's just that whole idea of like creating competition that I talked about earlier that they did not do with pass rushers. They seem to have done it with receivers. Mm -hmm. And I, I know that you, you haven't felt like they've really upgraded the receivers. I feel like they have. I, I think that I like Dante Pettis a lot. Oh right. no! I think it's a I think it's a terrific group. I think it's a yeah. terrific group right now. I think I think that they absolutely helped uh, helped improve that group. They, they got deeper, they got faster. They've got like Dante Pettis, like he can return kicks and stuff. And I think that's what they're that's what they're envisioning. Maybe Dante Pettis, not necessarily the sixth receiver, but as like the fourth receiver, they'll have him return punts and uh, and kicks. And maybe it's a succession plan for Pierre Garcon because Garcon, if I'm not mistaken, he's he's on the last year of his deal, correct? Um, I believe they have an out after this year. He's yeah. got another year, but he, they've been out after this year. Yeah, you 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 trade up to to take Pettis. He's not going to be a role player, Taylor Gabriel type person. You 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 brought him in to be a big time receiver on your team, right? And they have to, you know, if they take it slow this year, fine. But by next year, if if he's not a huge part of the offense, then that was a huge swing and miss. So I I would think that they're going to mold him to be one of the top guys out there, and in this. Could be Garcon's last year with the team. You know, that, that's fair to say. We'll see how some of these other young guys step up. But how, how they do the snaps this year and, and who plays what is, is, is going to be is going to be a story, I think. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm super excited just because, like, we haven't had this type of competition in years at the wide receiver position. Like, we basically it was like we knew who was going to make the, the squad in terms of the wide receivers because they were so bad. Because it was like, all right, these guys, they have NFL experience and they're going to make the this, this squad because of that. The rest of the guys are like either draftees or practice squad guys. So those guys won't make it. But I think they're, they're starting to kind of turn that around and they have more competition 
within that group. And it's going to be, it's going to be better. I think that don't be surprised Al, if by the end of the season, they're kind of just going with the hot hand, like whoever is the hot target, whoever is making the most catches and making the most plays, that's going to be the guy that gets playing time or those going to be the guys that get playing time. And I think that you're right. Like Dante Pettis is, is a succession plan. He's not, he didn't just be, he's not just brought in to be a role player to return kicks and, and be like a slot guy. First of all, he's not a slot guy. I want to dispel that myth. He lines up all over the field. So right. uh, I've seen that on Twitter. Like people are like, oh, well, he's a slot receiver. He's not a slot receiver. He, he can play from the slot, but he's lined up everywhere. In fact, I think he even said on his Twitter that he didn't even line up in the slot until his senior year or until his last year, sorry, in college. So, um, so I think that, that that's what you're going to see. And the theme is competition on this team. And again, looking back at New England, what do they do? They don't have like a really super, super dominant receiver besides Gronk. Uh, they have, as far as their wide receiver group, they have a, guys, a bunch of guys that are capable, but not like, like a superstar Antonio Brown type of guy. So I think, that, I think that the 49ers are trying to build that same sort of offense. Well, let's, I mean, let's call it what it is. The last 15 years, this offense has been a joke. It's yeah. been a complete joke. You know, you had a couple years there with Harbaugh where, where it was decent. 2011, I wouldn't say they were a good offensive team. They ran the ball well, ran the ball really well, but they weren't a strong passing team in 2011. I think it, what did Alex Smith have 3,100 yards that year and 17 touchdown passes? He didn't, he didn't do very much. 2012, they were good throwing the ball. And 2013, towards the end, the second half of the season, they were. Um, but other than that, this offense has, has been a joke. Listen, this is the only team in the NFL without a to not have a quarterback throw for at least 3,500 yards 2001. The Browns even did that. This offense has been a disaster, a disaster for 15 years. So it's, it's to be excited. You can't blame people for being excited right now. You have a quarterback, you have a stable of receivers. You have one of the best offensive play callers in the NFL. It's been a long time. It's been a long time since the Niners came into a season with this much optimism on offense, which, I mean, it's, it's kind of pathetic that it's been that long, but I, you know, I guess for fans to feel good that it's here because the Niners are going to have a good offense this year. As long as Garoppolo stays upright and stays healthy, there's, there's a lot of firepower there. And, and I, I really do think they're going to have a good offense. And we, we alluded to earlier, you know, did it, is it a concern Garoppolo carrying the offense by himself? I, I do believe that he did that last year, but when you put in Garcon, when you put in Pettis and, and we talked about Kittle and Brita in their second seasons, taking a step forward, when you put in McKinnon, what he can do in the passing game, Rich Berg at center is a big upgrade. I think the Fortnite's offense is, is going to be exciting this year. And, and it's, it's about time because uh, this team has mismanaged that side of the ball for, for a long time. I agree. It's time. It's time for them to take that take that step up and become an elite offense again. Like the 49ers historically are are known what are they known for? They're known as an offensive team. Yep. And the last the bulk of the last 20 years has not been that. So I'm I'm optimistic and I, I look at I look at Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff, the social media stuff that the team puts out and and I don't like I try not to overanalyze it. But I don't know if you saw this out. There's a video of Jimmy Garoppolo throwing the Kyle Uzcheck. They weren't wearing pads or anything. It was just during the the mini camp. And Garoppolo, like they show him dropping back and throwing a, a pass kind of down the sideline, similar to what we saw during the season, except mm-hmm. in his drop back, he, like, it's, it's like a five-step drop. And on the third step, he stops and does a pump fake to the other side of the field as if he's drawing a safety away and then takes the rest of his drop and throws it. And we didn't see that at all last year. Mm-hmm. And I'm, like, I'm not trying to overanalyze, but like already it kind of seems like they're trying to add stuff in that we didn't see last year. 
I don't know. Like, I don't know if you saw that or not, but to me, that's what it feels like. And he's going to grow as a quarterback a lot this year. I mean, I, if last year was the tip of the iceberg, that's pretty scary because they were one of the best offenses in the league with him in there. And there'll be some bumps in the road. I mean, he's a gunslinger, so he's going to throw some passes where you're like, what was he doing? But he's also going to move the ball and he's also going to put up a lot of points. So it's, it's, it's going to, it's going to definitely be exciting to see. And again, even if he struggles a little bit this year, you have a head coach and you have a play caller who's going to put him in position to make plays regardless. So Shanahan is going to scheme guys wide open and he's going to scheme enough offense. He can scheme enough offense out of anyone really. So let alone with a quarterback like Garoppolo, it's, it's going to be a big season. So definitely, um, can't wait. You know, I know minicamp and OTAs are coming up, but like I said, the next couple of months are, it's going to drag man because the season can't get here soon enough. Yeah. Looks like we'll just have basketball and hockey playoffs and a lot of, a lot of this, this is kind of the, the dead time of the year after the basketball and hockey playoffs. And because it's just baseball and I love baseball, like I'm a former ball player myself. Right. So I love, I love watching baseball. Um, I love the, the, the dead of the summer going to the ballpark, but it's just like, I'm just so excited for, for Niners football. And I want them to, I wish they could play tomorrow. I wish, I, I wish there was a game like tomorrow and we could see these guys on the field, but we, we have to wait. And now before we go, I, I just want to touch on one thing. Uh, I want to circle back to Richard Sherman and those of us who follow Richard Sherman on social media. And I, and I have, I'm, I'm guilty of that, of hating him first and then following him on social media. But those of us who follow him see that he's really taken a leadership role within the defensive backs. Like he takes them out to dinner. He'll, they were out like go-karting like a couple weeks ago. Like he's really kind of taken that leadership role within the team. He's it's, it's been said that he wants to take Ruben Foster under his wing when all this stuff is, all the dust is settled from Foster's legal case. Like me, I'm, I'm totally impressed with the effect that Richard Sherman has had so far with the leadership that he's taking. Cause I didn't, I didn't see that in that guy. Like I didn't expect that. And I'm absolutely thrilled because you're not only getting a really good player. And I think that he can still compete at a high level. He may not be what he once was, but I'll take 75% of Richard Sherman over almost any corner in this league. So you're getting that plus like a coach on the field. And I, that's just, that's just super impressive to me. It has been, and it does seem like he's he's made it a point to be a leader on this team. And and when he did his conference call, and I was on the I was on the conference call when um, he signed, and there were so many. I think I might have mentioned this earlier on one of the shows, but there were so many technical difficulties, and I think there was somebody with a dog or something, if I remember right, in the background. I mean, it was just it was a hot mess. And but Sherman could not have been more professional and more patient. And he hung up and called back in, you know, and. And just you hear about the guy and you, and you think, all right, he's brash. He's kind of a jerk, this, that. And that was the first time I've ever really, you know, been on a conference call or anything like that with him. And like, he was so polite and so patient. And you're just like, oh, well, like this guy can really carry himself really well. And I, I don't know if I wasn't expecting that, but it's taken aback by a little bit. And then after that, yeah, I saw what he did with Foster. And I see what he's doing with the young players on this team. And, and he's setting a good example. And you have to think for as much as the Niners brought him in, to play well on the field. They also brought him in to mentor guys like Witherspoon and, and the, the young corners that they have coming in. It looks like he's doing that. And he certainly knows this defense. So even if they get a year or two out of him being sort of a coach on the field, it could set them up for years to come for what he, the impact he could make on these young guys. He really can. And, and for me, like I'm just super impressed. Like you, like you said, like he was, he was super polite on that conference call and he has been great with the younger guys. And he's, you're talking about a guy who's literally accomplished everything you can accomplish in the sport at his position 
He's been the best corner in the league. He's made all pro, made pro bowls, been a Super Bowl champion. He's built one of the best defenses of all time or helped build one of the best defenses of all time. And now you're kind of asking him to take another role that he may not have taken before, which is basically leading a younger defense. And I think that he's, he seems super passionate about it, which is awesome. And the other thing that he seems super passionate about, which I love, is going up to Seattle and beating Seattle. <laughs> I don't know if you, right. uh, those, I don't know if you guys saw today, but uh, uh, 49ers WebZone had put an article out about Richard Sherman saying that he's going to put on a show up in Seattle, and that's exactly what I want to hear from him. I want him to be trash talking. I want him to be that brash Richard Sherman that we saw in Seattle. I want our entire defense to be like that because it's intimidating. I want Levi Stadium to be a fortress that people come in here and they're and they're scared of playing in San Francisco because of the crowd noise or the defense or or the scheme or whatever it is. I want that same sort of advantage that he gave Seattle. Like I want all of that. So the thought of that, I mean, you could tell I'm kind of getting excited about this, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I I want all of that, and I think that he can bring it. That there's so much potential on this roster, and like I said, I'll, I wish we could see this tomorrow. But uh, Richard Sherman wouldn't even play tomorrow. I mean, he's still rehabbing, but he's still on scheduled rehab. But week one, man, I cannot wait. Cannot wait to see this team week one. All right, before we put a bow on this thing, how excited are you to see LeBron down 0-2 right now? I know you don't like LeBron. So here's what's going to happen. LeBron, is they're going to win the next game in Cleveland. And game three, he'll start flopping or doing some stuff, and they may, they may win that to tie the series. Boston wins game five in Boston. Then Cleveland wins game six in Cleveland, and then Cleveland wins game seven in Boston to add to LeBron's legacy, and then people call him the greatest of all time, even though uh, like, not. So uh, that's that's basically how I see it going down. Um, yeah, like I, I highly doubt that he's going to get swept or anything like that. Like I'm a Bulls fan, so I've seen LeBron come down from 0-2 and beat the Bulls before. So this right. is not like you know when he was with Miami. This is not like anything that I'm really you know, looking, looking to and being like, oh, he's going to be out. How amazing are the Celtics, though? I don't even know who these guys are. I mean, Irving's not playing. Hayward had that, you know, that horrific injury. He's not playing. I don't even know who these guys are. And they're can two games away Kyrie, from... Can you imagine if Kyrie was still playing? Oh, like, and hey, if he, him and Hayward, if they yeah. had both of, the, both of them. I mean, yeah. yeah just, they, Brad Stevens is, is just, uh, he's such a good coach. Yeah. And I think it, I find it kind of funny that, uh, first of all, the Raptors, like I, they're, they're probably the worst number one seed I've ever seen in basketball. Yeah, it's such a joke. Such a like, joke. how do you get swept like as the one seed? Like, I can't believe that. So it's funny that Dwayne Casey wins coach of the year and like the same day he gets fired. Yeah, <laughs> NBA is just, I don't know. I don't know. I try, I try getting hammered by the Rockets, by the way. So. Uh, yeah, we'll see how that. I still think. I mean, I, I, that's going to be a fun series to watch with those two teams. But I, the Warriors are just so good, man. And I, I like to run the Warriors around because the NBA is—it's been this way for years and years and years. It's about—it's about dynasties and about teams that own the league for four or five years. You look at the Lakers, the Celtics, the Bulls. Even when Jordan was out, the Rockets kind of owned it for those two years, and the Spurs, and it's all—it's always kind of the same teams. But I'm glad the Warriors are kind of a different team, you know. So I don't mind this run they're on. Me, yeah, I'm a Lakers fan, but um, the only thing that got me about with the Warriors was when Durant went there because I was loving it. I'm like, they got Curry and they built this team, and you know, Curry is one of the most exciting players I've ever seen. And they got Thompson, and I love what they were doing. And then I don't blame them for signing Durant. If you had the opportunity to do it, do it. For me, I was like Durant. I'm like, dude, that's what you do. Like that was your competition. You go to your competition. I just I hated what he did. And Durant, I always really liked Durant, but 
even with him there, I still like the Warriors in the run that they're on. I, I like that they have a little dynasty here, and I, I kind of hope it continues. Yeah, it's fun to watch. As, as somebody who lives in the Bay Area, it's really fun. Like, it's, like they're today, a fun team. Yeah, they're a really they're a fun, fun team. team. They're, yeah, they're a really fun team to watch because like they make guys like me that cannot dunk and cannot jump high like but can shoot like they make guys like they I can relate to that right like as as crazy as that sounds like they're shooters right so the average fan is not like a 6 foot 8 person that can dunk and like fly above the rim right like the average fan is like a a little person right like you know like mm-hmm. 5 foot 10 6 foot 1 like whatever right so because of that they've kind of changed the game and like even like the big men you look at all the big guys around the league like you have to be able to shoot a 3 now if you're a big guy right they've right. pretty it's much made league, yeah Exactly. Pretty much made the old traditional center position extinct. So they've totally impacted the game. And I think that, that uh, the way that the 49ers did in the 80s, they changed the game, right? So when you, when you look at teams like that, that had that impact, like they're truly the greatest of all time, like the greatest of, of that era. And I think that, uh, I think they win. I think they win the series against the Rockets. Like I'm not really worried. I do too. Yeah, I do too. Uh, Houston's too good to get swept anyways. Like I figured that Houston would take at least one. But the Warriors still took back home court, and they're so good at Oracle, right? So I think that they probably take both at Oracle. Um, I was I was saying it would go at least six. Um, so I think it'll go six still. I think the Warriors will probably win it in Houston, but but uh, super excited. And it's funny you you mentioned KD what he did coming to the Warriors. Wait till you see what LeBron does next year. Oh yeah, seriously. <laughs> Especially if he loses. Yeah, yeah, he, it's going to be a joke. He's he's going to bring like as many superstar players as he can to like whatever team. And like, they're just going to build like a, like a super team in like Milwaukee or something like yeah. whatever team has like cap room. They'll, they'll go to that team. I kind of like what the Lakers are doing with the, with the young guys. I mean, I know they're going to go out and sign a Paul George or something like that, but I hope they don't go too crazy. I, they have like, a, I like Kuzma and you got ball there. And if they resign Julius Randall, they have a good core of guys right now. It was kind of exciting this year. So I, I, I sort of kind of don't want them to go crazy and sign all these guys. If they want to bring in like one max player, I get it. But I like the young guys they have right now there. Ingram as well. Ingram is great. Ingram. Oh yeah. I forgot about Ingram. Love, yeah. Love, yep. him. love yep. his game. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I can't play. I forgot. Yeah. He got, he, and he's a guy too, who they were like, Oh, he's going to be a bust. He's 18 dude or whatever he was, you know, it's going to take years for him to get good. And he, I, he started to show that this year. So yeah, Lakers are an exciting team. Yeah. And I was, uh, you know, it's funny. Like people talk about LeBron being the greatest of all time. And I'm like, did, did Kobe like die or something? Like, did he, <laughs> Kobe was so dominant, especially late in games. Like what Kobe did, like uh, Kobe was after Jordan, Kobe was my favorite player. And what yeah. he did with his athleticism and, and just being, being clutch was unreal. Like that guy, if, if my life was on the line and Michael Jordan was not available to shoot, I'd pick Kobe to shoot the shot. Yeah. LeBron's just a different kind of player than what we've ever seen. I, people try to compare him to Jordan or Kobe. He's just not. He's like a mix of like magic and like, you know, he's just a different sort of player than what we've ever seen before. Um, a different sort of player who's probably about to lose the six finals. So, <laughs> if he gets there, um, yeah. He is one of the best of all time. Right. Oh yeah, God, he's amazing. He's like amazing. One of the best yeah, players. like he's amazing. He's he's un- incredible. Like, uh, but the, like ESPN is notorious for this. They they always compare like, oh well, Michael Jordan did this and LeBron did this more than he did, and it's like yeah. just stop. Like you got to stop him. Right. You know? Yeah. Exactly. You got to let him be. I mean, I mean, we're probably guilty of that too. With like, we compare Brady and Montana and stuff like that. But yeah, you, you got to let let LeBron be LeBron. The only thing that's gonna hurt LeBron's legacy. I mean, he's he's one of the greatest individual players ever, you know, but if he ends up three and six in finals, yeah, or three and seven and five, that's a lot of finals losses, you yeah. know, for a sport where one person can really dominate in 
yeah, I mean, he's that's, running out of time. Too. Thirty-four this year. At yeah, the end he's getting of the year, up there. So it's like you have maybe two years of peak LeBron, maybe two, three years. Get up there, and he's going to want to win. If he doesn't win the title this year, he's going to want to go somewhere like you said and, and put. But to me, if he does that again, that that's a taint that taints his legacy. If he's got to go somewhere else and put together a super team to win another title or to beat the Warriors or whatever, or maybe maybe he'll, he'll even go to the Warriors. Who knows? <laughs> um, but. You know, but if he's got to do that again, yeah, to me, I just think, I just think that's Bush League. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think, man, we took a tangent, but it, it was fun. Yeah, this one wasn't this football, like, isn't this a football podcast? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but nobody's yeah. listening anymore. It doesn't matter at this point. Come to the no huddle for your football and basketball <laughs> needs. <laughs> Nobody heard this. I've returned it off. Yeah. So, all right. We're going to go now, guys. Thanks again for the time for Zane. This is Al. We'll talk to you soon. Peace.